Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,109. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Seattle, Washington, just a little north of where I live in Gig Harbor with a very special friend of mine by the name of Doug Andreessen. Doug, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I have got my harness strapped down. I am ready to go, Mark. All right. We'll have some fun today talking about Porsches and Porsche Club and all that. But before we begin, you know what I always ask everybody, Doug. Tell us one little thing about you that maybe most people don't know. Yeah, I was a key stakeholder in the youth concussion bill passed in 2009 in the Washington State Legislative Session. It was the only bill to pass the Legislative Session 98-0. to zero to encourage the safety of concussions with youth athletes. The bill then went on to be passed in all 50 states to help protect youth from concussions in athletic events. Wow. Well, I'll tell you something interesting about this. I have a friend that I grew up with, used to, uh, I was saw him or knew him in junior high and high school. He went on to uh, be, still is very professional in business, but he's created a lot of different things in his life. And one of them was a a helmet-type device that kids wore when they played soccer because he said, do you know the most common head injury in soccer is concussions? And I went, concussions? Wouldn't that be like regular football? He goes, no, their heads aren't protected, and they whack into each other because always looking down at the ball. And he had a daughter who got a bad concussion, and he designed this little helmet. It's kind of like a like a simplified bicycle helmet that kids would wear that would cut down on their concussions. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I have. Um, I come from the volunteer world of the soccer community and uh, very much involved in that over the course of my life. And what got me um, interested in this was a friend of mine's son suffered a TBI, which is traumatic brain injury, from concussion playing youth football. And uh, we quickly found out that there was nothing protecting these kids from concussions. And I looked at my own sport that I love of soccer, and I said the same thing. And I said, well, we have to do something about that. So um, it's been a long journey. As I said, from 2009, uh, I'm happy to say we've got laws passed in all 50 states. The unfortunate thing about that is the laws passed in 47 of those states are named after students who have passed away from concussions. Oh, goodness. Wow. Yeah, you just don't think of soccer as being, you know, a deadly sport. Compared to football, of course, we think is you know pretty uh, violent might be a strong term, but it is pretty violent. Yeah, soccer uh, can be super dangerous. So, well, congratulations, that's very cool. I didn't know that about you either. So, very cool. Yeah, I love it. So, let me give you a proper introduction. Doug Andreessen is currently serving as president of the Pacific Northwest Porsche Club, a position that he's held. For four years, he has served on the PNWR board in various positions prior to being elected president. Doug is also currently serving as the vice president for the Tacoma Historical Society and the chair of the Metropolitan Parks and Recreation Business Advisory Committee. I see a little trend with you, Doug. He also serves in the Metropolitan Park Watch Program to improve safety in a beautiful Point Defiance Park, which is very near my home. It's a wonderful place. Doug is past president of Washington Youth Soccer. There's 
was at soccer again, eight years as president, 15 years on the board, and he served in various capacities for U.S. soccer, the United States Youth Soccer Association. He was former chair of the U.S. Soccer Diversity Task Force. Doug's career has also included a wide variety of companies and ventures, that, and he is the co-owner of Andreasen Property Development and Northwest Publishing Arctic Printing Company. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our valued sponsor, so give them a little love. They're the reason we're here today, and we will be right back. Covercraft's newest three-layer all-climate cover is especially engineered for moderate weather conditions and it's treated with an extra UV-resistant formula. It's soft, it's breathable, and it's easy to store, all while pampering your paint, providing maximum UV, rain, and dust protection. If you live where it's windy, no worries. Simply add their gust guards for windy conditions to add extra protection to keep your cover in place. Your three-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their tradition since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft, too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code yeah 21 Y-E-A-H-2-1 at Covercraft.com, and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right. So get 10% off with free shipping by simply using the code yeah 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. When it was time to renew my collector car policy, my carrier raised my rates by a lot. But why? My usage was the same, my car's value was the same, and I had never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. The only change was their rate, and they had no reason why. What's with that? I researched my options. I spoke to others. What a difference. A live person actually answers the phone. She spent time learning about me and provided a reasonable quote. Why wait until your next premium is due? Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote. Call 866-AC1-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Doug, uh, let's dive a little deeper into the corner since we're talking about Porsches, which are so much fun to drive. And what I really wanted to focus on with you today is Porsche Club and car clubs in general. You and I have been friends for a while now, and you've worked very hard with our local Porsche Club to be more inclusive and bring more people into the club as us more mature guys. Now I'm only speaking for myself, not for you, Doug. Us more (laughs) mature guys are aging out. We're in some cases passing on. And if we don't start bringing in different diverse groups of people, i.e. younger people, women, people of color, maybe these clubs aren't going to be around much longer. So let's talk about first and foremost, your passion for being on boards, being in clubs, helping people. I mean, this seems to be a key attribute in your life. And, you know, as I read through what I was reading, I'm like, wait a minute, this guy's got companies. How do you manage your time, my friend? I don't know how you do it. Mark, I live by a motto, and that motto is, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? And so I live by that motto in my life. I was brought up by some parents who very much believed in volunteering the community. As a young man, I picked up garbage around soccer fields uh, before we played the game. And 
I used to complain about my father on Saturday morning at 6 a.m. when he'd wake you up and say, we're going to go down and pick up trash around the field. I go, Dad, the game doesn't start till 9 o'clock. Let me sleep in. And he'd say, <laughs> if you don't pick up the field and clean it, who's going who's gonna to play on the field? And don't you want to have a better block, a better neighborhood, a better community if you pick up the trash and, and, and be a volunteer in a community? Give back to the community what the community has given to you. And so I've used that motto in my life. Mark, to serve on, as you have heard, many boards, many positions. And the car clubs is certainly one of the uh, strong passions I have in my life today. And you and I share a passion for cars and more specifically the Porsche brand. I've been a member of the Porsche club since I think junior high. My good friend Bobby Schmidt and I joined the club together. And I remember one of us, I think it was me, had to change our name because spouses were free. So we didn't have to each join because we didn't have too much money. <laughs> so we always joke that I was his wife way back when. We uh, joined the club and way back when uh, went to the events and things. We didn't have Porsches, of course, but uh, we sure enjoyed it. The Porsche Club is not unlike so many clubs because as us baby boomers are, are aging, these clubs have kind of been the same. And I experienced this being here in the Pacific Northwest for almost 30 years now that I've gone through variations in time with the club where I was involved and I wasn't involved and I got back involved. And I think about why I wasn't involved and there was a variety of reasons, but one of them was, well, this group is so focused on just one thing. That, that I like to do some other stuff. And I think that eventually changed. But I'd love to get your impressions, and then we'll talk more in depth of some of the things you've done specifically to help improve the club and, more importantly, bring more people into the club so that it'll continue long after you and I are pushing walkers around with uh, flames painted on the side. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. The Porsche Club, I love the marquee. I love the brand. I love the cars as well. And like you, I've been a member of the club for a long time. And at one point, I looked around the room and I said, you know, if we don't get involved and make some changes here, back to my motto, if not me, then who can be involved in the club to make these changes? And so I raised my hand in the back of the room and I said, you know, I will run for a position on the board and let's help to really grow this club in, in our area. And uh, I have done that since that time. And we've been blessed in our Pacific Northwest Porsche Club with uh, some tremendous growth, by the way. No kidding. One of the things that you and I spoke about a couple of years ago was we have a, all the clubs have magazines, if you will, they would mail out and ours was called Spiel and it was, it had been wonderful. It had been done uh, by pretty much the same people for a long, long time, but it was kind of due for a refresh. And I really want to thank you because you tapped on my shoulder because of my graphic design background to give some opinion and look at some ideas that you were looking at. But as we all know, making change sometimes is very difficult. So one thing I admire about you is you have a way about you of introducing things that are different and change. And then you have a very, I don't know what the right way to say this, delicate hand, I guess, of, of working through that process versus sometimes people come in and they strong arm and they bully and they put this got to happen and they just put, I'm the president, I will make these decisions. You're quite the opposite. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you have implemented with the club that have worked very well, and not only with Spiel, with a design change, because not just that's going to do it, but it's more about the stories that are in there, right, and the people that we talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with any newsletter or any publication of any organization you belong to, Mark, it is the face of their organization. No matter how much people might say, well, that isn't our the way our operation looks or the way it, it, it is, in fact, when people read it, that's their first impression of the car club or of the train club or whatever club you might belong to as well. And when I looked at our magazine, I said, 
there's something missing here. What's missing is the stories behind the cars. The common denominator is we all love Porsches. We all love their cars. You can go up and talk to anybody about their particular car, and they'll tell you why they love their Porsche. What I said, let's find the stories behind it. And part of the difficulty in changing the culture of the, of the club is, as you say, you don't want to go in and strong-arm people. You want to go in and be cooperative, be collaborative. You want to solicit ideas from other people, not only on your board, but in your community about how do you make changes and what would they like to see in the, in the club and in the publication. And so we began down that route in changing our club newsletter. And it went from something where I would talk to many people in our club and they would, did you get the Spiel magazine this month? And they said, you know what, Doug, I did. Thank you very much. I don't read it. It goes in the trash. Well, why does it go in the trash? People would say there's not a lot of content there that I'm interested in. I frankly don't have time to look at it. And I began to ponder that question and say, well, why does that magazine end up recycled before it gets read? And as I started to really dive into the magazine, I realized that it's happening because the articles don't have the interest that people want to read. What we did is I developed our spiel team with different people from different backgrounds, different genders, and I said, Let's get together and talk about this and figure out how do we how do we change this magazine to make it fit our club. And as in any club, you have members that are, quote, baby boomers. You have members that are older than the baby boomer generation that are still around. And you also now have these younger members that are coming into the club, either the generation behind us or in some cases, two generations behind us are coming into the club now. And how do you interest that, that person from Gen X that are coming into the club? What interests them in, in one, getting the magazine, and two, reading it. And that was the task that we looked in front of us to say, how do we do that? Well, another part of this, I would assume, is also the advent of the internet and how that's used. And many of these clubs that are run by, let's say, again, more mature folks, I'll, I'll just mention myself, maybe aren't as adept using social media, uh, different apps and things like that. So they just stick to the magazine, whereas young people, and I'll give you an example, I used to get like 40 car magazine subscriptions every month. And my kids would look at this stack of magazines and go, Dad, why do you still read magazines? And I'd look at them and go, what are you talking about? Well, everything that's in those magazines is old news. Like, it, it came out on this on this device, Dad, you know, this little thing called a phone uh, <laughs> that you pay for. Thank you very much. Um, and I, you know, I, I eventually got rid of almost all my car magazines. I think I only get like five now. And um, because for the same reason, I just wasn't looking at them anymore. They weren't keeping up with the times. And I would assume you were discovering the same kinds of things in addition to the fact that younger people, there's nothing in there that interests them. And this is kind of a segue into cars and coffee concept. The reason cars and coffee, I think, have exploded across the country in the last five, six, ten years is because you get to meet the people at the events in addition to the cars. But in these publications, it was all the vehicles and no people, right? Yes, uh, and, and we kind of thought the same thing. And, Mark, there will always be a segment of our population who will always want to read the p- publication on their mobile device. Uh, there's no question about that. We don't ignore that in the newsletter that we produce, our magazine. We produce a digital edition for that crowd as well. And, Mark, I have members that call me and say, Doug, don't send me the print edition. Just send me the digital edition. That's all I want. The print edition clogs up my mailbox. It lays on my counter. I don't read it. But I do read the digital edition. So we um, do a digital edition as well. But what we have found lately, Mark, is that now people are saying, hey, I like to look at the print edition because I can carry it with me. I can can look at it at various locations. It's a little bit easier for me to understand the way the publication is put together. 
And I think that's very important. It's a very tactile uh, feeling to be along to the club to hold that in your hand. But what we also did with the publication was that we said, what do people read? And when you look at our kids, for example, and what do they read? They no longer read long stories that are 3,000 words, 5,000 words, 10,000 word articles. That's not what their world is like. They, their information comes to them in very short information bites. And so we said in the magazine, let's reduce the articles to 500 to 750 words, maybe 1,000 words. But let's make the pictures larger. Let's make them more graphic-oriented. Let's put color into the magazine as well, because that draws people to the magazine. Now when you pick up Spiel magazine, now you, you can read an article in probably 30 seconds, maybe a little bit longer in some cases, depending what the interest is um, in the magazine. And that has increased readership. People will now bring that magazine to a Cars and Coffee event, and I might go out and they'll come up to me and say, Doug, I read the article you know, in your June edition about this. And they'll show me the magazine, and I'm, and I'm glad that they have read it, and it shows a lot of interest. So it shows a real trend to not produce a publication that has such intense um, copy as well as graphics. But let's make them loose. Let's make them light. And that's what the result has been. Well, definitely. And I think part of that, the reasoning for that is we are inundated with information now. There's so many things to look at. It was like the old days with three three TV channels and a couple magazines, and that's yeah. it, and that's all you had to do. Uh, maybe sometimes I feel like I'd like to go back to those days so I don't have all these distractions. But <laughs> but that's the way it is, and that's yeah, that's the way people like to uh, get their information. Well, I, I just you know I've said this to you because you and I have talked a lot about this. That I think what you've done and your team, more importantly, because you put together a really wonderful group of people. Uh, it's not just you, obviously. It's this team of people. People. And I like the lifestyle type stories. The most recent one was about a, a father and son and uh, the Mama Green Macan. And, you know, it was like, OK, this I can this, I can relate to this versus just reading about the new Macan or any other car. So I, I think you've taught other clubs some things. And have you experienced from other clubs any kind of feedback in a positive sense that, oh, maybe we should be doing this as well? Yeah, Mark, as we started this conversation, you mentioned that change is hard, and this has certainly been hard, not only with our own club, but putting this magazine out from a nationwide perspective as well. And it took a year or so before people really started to understand what we were doing with a magazine. And when you do a magazine for your club, you've got to realize you have this wide demographic curve, and you have to really appeal to everybody in that demographic curve. And how do you do that? So you have to have a variety of stories. And Soon, our magazine got attention from other Porsche clubs around the country. And what happened is those people started calling me saying, how did you do this article? Why did you do this article? Why is this on your cover? And, and a lot of questions. And it began to really generate a lot of interest from other clubs around the country. Nice. Now, there's many clubs in the country that imitate what PNWR does. <laughs> and I take that as a high, as a high compliment. Um, I think that's, a, that's very complimentary of our organization. And so now you look at the Chicago or you look at um, the Potomac region and Upper Canada, their magazines are starting to reflect what PNWR is doing. And that is articles about people and stories. And so the story you mentioned was a very fascinating story to me. And I get a lot of people that call me up or email me every week and say, hey, look at the picture of my Porsche at Mount Rainier. Look at the picture of my Porsche when I drove down to Monterey or I went to San Diego wherever they might be. And Mark, they're gorgeous pictures. The cars are absolutely stunning. But I always ask the next question, what's interesting about that car to you? Why did you buy that model? Why do you like to drive the 993 or the 997 or the turbo, whatever it is that you like? Tell me the interest in how you acquired that car and, and what 
really interests you in that car. And soon you uncovered a whole story about that car, and then the story became very interesting to people. Yeah. So many times when you go to cars and coffee, and you look at that mama green macan, you go, why would that guy buy a mama green macan? I don't (laughs) like the mama green, somebody might say. Well, you read the article, and you find out that green was very much interesting in this guy's family history. So now you read story behind the story, or as those of us from the baby boomer generation used to say, used to listen to Paul Harvey, and it was, now you hear the rest of the story, right? <laughs> I loved those. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, and I can't tell you the people that that come up to us now that they have, and they may have, might have known a club member for 25 years in some cases, or 30 years in one case of a member who called me and said, I never knew that person's background. He was always interesting, always wondered why he drove that drove that yellow Porsche. What is it about the yellow Porsche? I never figured out. Now I know. And the people have called us up, emailed us, and said, thank you very much for telling that story. Yeah. Well, my hat's off to you and your team again of what you guys have done. It's been been really, really fascinating, great. And I know it took some time, but, uh, you know, all good things do take some time. I, I love to ask my guests about what I call driving inspirations, people that were mentors or influencers in your life that helped you out. Was there somebody like that in your world? Yeah, let me tell you a little bit of a, a mentor in my life that's not really car-related, but has become a strong mentor. When I was a young man, I worked for a gentleman who was a quadriplegic. He was injured in a military accident, unfortunately. And what this man accomplished in his life was amazing as a quadriplegic. He ended up running for a city council position where he was very influential. He ran for a park board commissioner, which was very influential in what he did in the community. And it taught me that there's nothing that you can't do as an able-bodied person compared to what this person was able to do. I was so very much impressed by his work ethic and his business ethic and his love of life in his position. And that was really a good mentor for me as an early part of my life. This was all before the American Disabilities Act was passed. So my job was to drive him around and get him into locations in his wheelchair. And before we had the American Disabilities Act, it was curbs were problems. Double doors in restaurants were problems. Steps to get into buildings that had steps and no elevators were problems. And the list goes on and on. And so we, we went to work and with Congress and helped develop the American Disabilities Act. And I went back to Congress with him a number of times. Again, this is back in 1976. Congress building had no elevator to bring this citizen into the building. I had to pull him up in a wheelchair on all those steps in front of the Capitol so he could testify before the Senate on American disabilities and how every American should have access to it. So this gentleman was a mentor (laughs) to me from day one. It was just absolutely amazing. I think of him often. He's passed away, but I often think when I have difficult times, and I look around, and I go, why can't I do this? Or I'm going to stop doing it. I think of this gentleman, and I go, look what he did. I can do the, I can do the same thing. Oh, no doubt. Wow. What a, what a great experience to have, especially as a young person. Uh, so often we get caught up in the little trivial things that upset us every day. And to take a moment and do a little paradigm shift as to what other people are having to deal with uh, around the world or just down the street or across the street, wakes you up a little bit and gives you a little bit of gratitude for uh, the fact that you didn't have to deal with that. So great story. We're going to take a short break. We'll thank our sponsors. We come back. We have the challenge question for you. So sit tight. We'll be right back. You listeners know I've been into car care my entire life. 
I am so excited to team up with AutoGeek in 2022. AutoGeek.net has been a leading source of auto detailing products, accessories, and expert knowledge for more than 20 years. What started in 1997 as a mail order catalog company has grown into a multi-website based e-commerce store that they are today. With a large online presence on its own website featuring close to 100 different brands, AutoGeek has grown to be the largest car care retailer in the country. AutoGeek's wholesale program serves accounts in over 30 countries and its retail sector ships worldwide. Go to AutoGeek.net for the best product selection on the internet today and their stellar technical support. AutoGeek.net. It's where I go for all my detailing needs. That's AutoGeek.net. Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. So, Doug, uh, the challenge question here on Cars Yeah is really more about what it taught you, just like that experience with your friend that you uh, helped with the America's Disability Act. I'd love for you to share a really challenging time in your life, maybe even a big, huge failure. But more importantly, what was that lesson that it taught you that you carried forward in a positive way? This is an interesting question. Running businesses and owning businesses has presented a lot of challenges to me. And as I thought about this question, my answer really came down to a personal challenge. And that was I was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2002. I underwent three years of a challenging life attempting to survive prostate cancer using every method except with surgery. And, uh, and Mark, it was some dark days in my life, and you get to a point you're wondering, do I want to live this way with what was being done with radiation and chemotherapy and so forth to me? And it was a real struggle for me with everything that I had in my life being successful in some businesses and other ventures. 
I was not sure I was going to live to see the sun rise the next day. And when you, when you start to live that way, it's a downhill slide. But let me tell you something that really changed my life in addition to the prostate cancer, which I fortunately enough survived, obviously. One day I was in the hospital, Mark. I was undergoing some pretty, um, pretty arduous treatment. One of my sons came in to talk to me that day. He was fairly young at the time, less than, uh, I think he was probably 15 years of age. And he looked at me, we had a discussion about life, and he sees his father in bed, I'm sick, I've lost a lot of weight. All those symptoms that you certainly think of people are going through some degrees, severe degrees with cancer. And he asked me this question, he says, Dad, how many summers do you have left? Wow. Mark, I got the, I got the question, I was mad at him, and I said, what do you mean how many summers do I have left? I was really upset with him, and I said, of all the things we can talk about, you ask me how many summers do you have left? And after he left that day, Mark, I thought about that for the next couple of days, and I still think about it. In fact, I printed that out. It's at my desk in all my locations that I work, and I live my life as to how many summers do I have left. Mm. And so the challenge, the challenge was not only to survive cancer but the cha- and live another day to see the sunrise, but the challenge is make the most of your life. How many summers do you have left? Wow. That's powerful. Uh, wow. What a what an insight your son had much less uh, to probably put more. Not, I wouldn't say you didn't have drive to live in your life, but to turbocharge it. We'll talk Porsche here, right? I mean, it's like you yep. you have more days. You've got to make them happen. Um, wow. That's powerful. Holy cow. What a what a inspiring story. Uh, incredible young man you've raised there. That's pretty darn cool. Well, that's a great segue to my next question, and that is a bucket list. Now, I know that you're the kind of guy, in fact, last weekend you took some young people up to the top of Mount Rainier. Did you guys do that? Yes, we did, yeah. You did, yeah. I mean, yeah, very I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, listeners, I've become friends with Doug, and sometimes I'll call and he'll go, uh, sorry, I'm halfway up El Capitan. I can't talk right now, <laughs> you know, or, yeah, I'm going to take a bunch of kids. I can't join you at the car show this weekend. I'm taking a bunch of youth up to the top of Mount Rainier. I mean, you're a guy that loves to really get out in nature a lot. Is there or are there some uh, big, uh, hairy, audacious accomplishments you still like to to have in these upcoming many summers that you have in your life ahead? I've been fortunate. I've had the opportunity to travel around the world. I've seen a lot of spots that most people may not get a chance to see. My my father was in a construction business and built commercial structures all all over the world. And so I had a chance to travel with him. And so while travel is certainly high on my list from a bucket list, my own bucket list defines really, and I said this earlier, if not me, who, and if not now, when. And my bucket list really is to help the underserved communities. And I'm very passionate about that. You see that in my list of items that I volunteer for. Everything that I do, I look at those people in the underserved communities, Mark, and I go, how can I help them advance their lives? What can I do to help them? It could be a number of things. And so while a bucket list is easy to have of a travel or maybe a a challenge or something that you'd like to accomplish, I say to myself, my bucket list is I want to help underserved communities. That is is also in front of me every day at my office. You know, you've uh, figured out the secret sauce to life. Now, surviving cancer and being faced with your own mortality is certainly eye-opening. And I'm sure that even gave you more stronger urge to do more with every moment of your day. But what you just shared with me is something, and my listeners have heard me say this before, it's the discovery of what makes us happy as human beings. And I've learned this from so many people, and you're just another wonderful example, is that when we figure out a way to help others, that is when we are happiest. 
in our life. And for some people, it takes a long time for them to figure that out. Some people don't even realize that they're doing it, and that's why they feel good about it. And of course, there's others who perhaps were taught by their parents at a young age, sounds like you were, that giving back and helping people is really why we exist as human beings. So uh, you have definitely figured out the secret sauce to life, my friend. Well, it's, a big, it's becoming an advocate for those who do not have advocates. Mm-hmm. And there's things that I can do in my position, Mark, that others cannot do in the underserved communities. People will listen to me that they will not listen to others. Um, I have got a lot of contacts um, in a lot of different levels of politics and other areas that I can be a voice for those folks and say, let me help correct something that's in their lives or in their community or something that, that can make those people's lives better as well. So and I'm a very much strong believer in that and helping those underserved communities. How would you help somebody who says, well, gosh, I don't have your position of power, Doug, or I don't have enough money or whatever it might be to do the same thing, but they have a wish or a desire to do that. How would you suggest somebody start? I I say starting by volunteering in your community. Look around your community and get some tools, and and people like myself can help you get those tools that will help you become a success in finding whatever your challenge might be. And so it's not sitting at home and saying, woe is me, or I don't have the money, I don't have the context that Doug has, but it's how do I get some of those things, and how do I learn? And it's not just um, being involved, Mark, but it's about reading. It's about getting involved. It's about understanding the way things work and the way to make things operate. As we talked about earlier in the interview, when you get on a volunteer board, and it's not about coming in strong-arming, it's about learning how to be collaborative. So I would tell that person, let me help you provide you some tools, or as I call it, some arrows in their quiver that they can pull out at any given time to help them find out how to make that challenge and how to meet that challenge in life. Well, it could start with going down to your local playground early in the morning and picking up trash so the kids don't have to play around that trash when they get to the playground That's right. later in the day. So you shared that story earlier. Let's talk about a special vehicle because this is Cars Yeah, of course, although you've shared some wonderful things. Yep. Is there one special vehicle in your life that really has stood out for you? Mark, this is a hard one, being car people like uh, you and I, <laughs> I know, are. Sorry, I know. This, this is a Really, really hard question to say the least. My favorite vehicle is a car I still have today. It's a Porsche not 2.0 that I bought when I was 18, Mark. I had walked by the dealership, or the Porsche dealership, or rode my bike by a Porsche dealership as a young man and always would stop and look in the windows, Mark, over the course of time. And when the 914 came out, it came out about the time I was hitting that age of my life. And I thought, that is a really cool car. And uh, I walked into the dealership and I said, What's that cost? And he told me, I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know how I would be able to afford this car. Well, I was fortunate enough that I had, um, I took a vocation. I was able to get some money at Commercial Fish for a while. And I, after a while, almost a summer or a season, as we called it then, I had enough money to go back to the theater. I'll never forget the day, Mark. I walked in the showroom floor. I was 18 years old, 18 and a half years old, and said, I want that baby blue Porsche 914 2.0. <laughs> yeah. It never took Never took me seriously, Mark. I was young, as you can appreciate. I understand the salesman's perspective at the time. And he said, well, you know, young man, this cost X amount of dollars. I had cash in those days, Mark. I said, is this enough money? I pull out of my bag <laughs> my, uh, and I put the cash on the table. I go, I think this is enough. I've counted it. And he looked at it and he goes, uh, yeah, that is enough to buy this car. <laughs> and I purchased a 914. It's a very special car, car, Mark. I still have it today. I absolutely love the 914s just for a lot of reasons. It came from an arrow and I was just coming into the cars. And I absolutely love the car. So I still have it today. So a 2.0, would that be a 73? 
Yeah, 73, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. I had one in the same color. So uh, there you go. Bought yeah. that Bought that for my son and uh, brought it home. My wife goes, no, that's not going to be his first car. That's crazy. It's so little, everybody in their SUV is going to drive right yeah. over the top of him. Uh, no airbags. No, that's not going to happen. So he got to learn to drive it in the parking lot before he turned 16, and uh, we sold it and... Uh, yeah, I always liked that car. It was it was pretty fun. But yeah, fishing. I had a chance to go fishing one summer. There was a big tuna fleet down in San Diego when I was a kid. And I had I used to detail all these Portuguese tuna fishermen's cars. And they always had nice cars. And I got invited yep. to spend one summer. And my mom went three months out of sea fishing. Nope, that's not going to happen either. Uh, he goes, hey, you can make enough money to buy a Porsche. <laughs> But she didn't want me going off fishing for the summer. So uh, I uh, stuck with detailing cars at home. Didn't quite make as much as catching big tuna, but uh, oh well. So uh, you were you were a little more fortunate. Now I'm going to be your car psychologist. I'm going to crawl into your skull here, yeah. Doug. If you were manifest or reincarnated as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Mark, you're going to find my answer to this very interesting because I, you and I have been friends for some time and you certainly know my love of cars, but I think this might surprise you. That car to me would be a 1970 Boss 302 Mustang. Okay, yeah. Now I'm confused. <laughs> yep. Why? So, Mark, I grew up, we grew up, we grew up yeah. um, in the Trans Am uh, era. Oh, yeah. And I used to go to track, watch the Trans Am cars race. I certainly loved the, what we called imports in those days, the Porsches would race. But when those Boss 302 Mustangs came out, it was just, it captured, it captured my heart. And my favorite driver was all time was Parnelli Jones. Oh, yeah. And I used to watch those races, Mark. I would travel to California with my father to Riverside and the other great racetracks. And the racing that was between uh, Parnelli Jones and George Fomer was absolutely legendary to me in every aspect of the words. I love the way Parnelli Jones drove that Boss 302 in the track. If you look at the old pictures, the car was, he was hitting the curbs. He was doing whatever he could. He was driving door to door racing many times yeah. with the great names of Trans Am and certainly George Fulmer as well. The race I really recall, Mark, about this car was October 4th, 1970, was the final race of the Trans Am series was at Riverside, by the way, an area you might be familiar with. Oh, yes. But the championship came, yeah, the championship came down to the, to the two boss Mustangs between Fulmer and Parnelli Jones. And those folks raced door-to-door. I read the comments years after from the Ford executives going, we just hope these guys finish the race and don't knock each other out. Yeah. <laughs> it was such great racing to watch these two legendary drivers, you know, race these cars. And as you might recall, recall George Fulmer's car had a mechanical, so he's in the pits, and Parnelli Jones went on to win the Trans Am Championship that year. With the Ford executives in the pits, you've got to imagine these people just cringing like, oh, my God, what's going to ha- what's going to happen with this, right? Yeah, it's like Ferrari faces Ford, the movie, you know? Yeah. So, you know, the question is, what car? Well, it would certainly be that Boss Reel, too. It, 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 I live my life to some degree when I think about that story with Parnelli Jones and the car and how it was run despite the obstacles that Parnelli Jones had with the car and the mechanics and everything else was on the track. And, of course, those were the great years of the Javelins raced by Mark Donahue, right? Yeah. All the other great cars in those Trans Am series. And I just admired Parnelli Jones, you know, in ways he was able to do with that car. And uh, so to answer your question, yeah. What car would I be? I'd be the Boss 302 Mustang. That bright yellow Mustang. Very cool. (laughs) Bright yellow Mustang. 
I, I, I love it. Well, I'm going to skip this next question because we've already talked at length about all the many ways you give back. I always like to ask people that. I mean, you found numerous ways you continue to make that the core element of your life. And, and my hat's off to you for that. How about sharing a great book? Um, I'm an avid reader. I read between 50 and 70 books a year. Wow. Um, I absolutely I absolutely love reading. And so, again, when you ask to pick your favorite car, you pick your favorite child, you pick your pick your favorite book. <laughs> it's kind of in those categories. categories. I, mean, I picked two books, by the way. I'm going to give you two books. Okay. One book I've absolutely loved, and that is Amazon Unbound. And it was written by Brad Stone. It's about the invention of the global empire that was built by Jeff Bezos. If you want to see insight into how Amazon was built and the way they think and the way they operate and the way they dominate the market today, it is an absolutely amazing book to see how this man built this company, what he thought about, how he went about it, and how he faced the competition. So Amazon Unbound, I would encourage people to read. If you're looking for a good business book, this is a great business book to read. Cool. I've not read that. I'll add it to the list. Yeah, it's it's a really good book. I it's it's a big book, but I encourage people to take time to read it if you really want to learn about business. I think that's a, a remarkable one. It'll help you understand the way that Amazon works in in the fields that they're in. The other book I like, and I'm all about kindness. I think we need to be kinder to people, especially in the country today. There's a local book, a local author rather, my name is Shelby Van Pelt. She turns out she's from Tacoma. I didn't know that at the first time, by the way. But the book she wrote was called Remarkably Bright Creatures. The book is about an octopus and its, and its relationship with caretakers. It teaches us about kindness. It teaches about helping others. It's just a remarkable book to enjoy. So um, as I look at my business library and I look at the, the host of other nonfiction and fiction books that I have, I read this book about remarkably bright creatures. And yes, it's about an octopus, but it's about being kind. And it's about how you have that relationship and with others. And it's just an absolutely fascinating book, a quick, easy read. You know, that's fascinating. I would assume then you've seen the documentary, My Octopus Teacher? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was, I'll have to read the book too, but I tell you, I I don't eat octopus anymore after watching that. Those creatures are, (laughs) they're incredible. And you know, I eat some meat, I, I prefer fish, but I can't eat octopus anymore after that. That's just... Those things, I just yeah. don't understand how something that looks like that can be so darn smart. It's just, uh, that was mind-boggling to me. So I, I look forward to getting a copy of that book and reading it for sure. So before I let you go today, Doug, we're going to go on the ultimate drive. Now, I know you've traveled a lot. You've been around a lot. You've driven lots of very cool cars. Today, I'm going to give you any car in the world. Doesn't matter how expensive or what it is or who owns it. I'm going to park it in your driveway. You get to go for a drive with anybody on the planet even somebody who's passed. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you? Mark, my ultimate drive would be, would be with Ayrton Senna. Ooh. I have been a Senna fan um, all my life as well, and as many of your guests are probably Senna fans as well. Me too. Ayrton Senna owned, owned a number of cars, and one of them that he owned was a 1987 Esprit, Lotus Esprit. And it was, it was, I used to see pictures of Ayrton Senna driving his Lotus Esprit, I think probably when he drove for Lotus at the time, early in his career. And I always have loved those Esprits, to say the least. And what I would really like to do with Ayrton Senna was I'd love to take a car like that and drive on a track in the rain. Ooh, because yeah. Ayrton, Senna, Ayrton Senna was such an amazing driver in so many ways, but his skills on the track in the rain were just second to none, at least 
from my perspective. And we and I think we rarely see drivers like that who can drive in those wet conditions and they would relish Ayrton Senna would relish when it would rain because he was such a good driver. Yeah. So I think that that would be the car. That's my driver. That's my car. I'd love to be in with you know with him, and and just see how he drives that 1987 Esprit. Yeah, maybe he could take you on a few laps around Spa. That would be pretty oh, cool. Oh, Mark, I would absolutely love about it. And the the last part of that question, Mark, is I would love to talk to Aaron Senna about his work in the underserved community around the world. I think perhaps as you know, and maybe others know. Aaron Senna uh, donated a lot of money to underserved communities. His foundation, at one point, he donated $400 million to the help in the underserved communities, both in Brazil and other countries around the world. And he did this without a lot of fanfare, did, didn't appear in a lot of articles what his donations were or why he did it. But I would love to hear from Aaron Senna at the top of his career about his love of the underserved communities and why he did that. Well, there, you can still find they, there still is the Ayrton Senna Institute uh, where they help people. And of course, you know, coming from the country he came from where there was yep. a lot of extreme poverty and people that really needed a lot of help. Yeah. And uh, looking back on the time and perhaps nowadays it may have been more well known because there's more communication methods. But you talk to people sometimes they go, I didn't know he did that. I had no idea he, right. that he did that. So, but you know, that's how great people do give. They don't do it in a way to support themselves. They do it sometimes in a quiet way uh, to help others. So, uh, what a great answer to that question. You've got a lot of great answers. You've taken us on a fun drive today. I knew this would be great, and I'm so happy that we got to spend a little time here together. Before I let you go, could you share some words of wisdom, advice, or maybe some inspiration for our listeners? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Benjamin Franklin. I've read a lot about Benjamin Franklin. I've collected some Benjamin Franklin memorabilia in my lifetime. He said a number of very interesting things, Mark. One thing that he says that I have on my in front of my desk, I have a lot of things in front of my desk for inspiration is what I have, and it keeps me inspired to do what I do. And he says this. He said, tell me, and I forget. Teach me, and I will remember. Involve me, and I will learn. Yeah, that's awesome. And you think, and you and you think about that and how that can manifest in your life or other lives, and it really is true as much as it was in Ben Franklin's time as it, as it is today. And so I love that motto that I have in front of my desk. And I, right below it, by the way, my other motto I love is from Dr. Seuss, and he always he said this, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. <laughs> Absolutely. Dr. Seuss, what a great one. How can people learn more about Porsche Club of America and the Pacific Northwest Porsche Club? Thanks, Mark, for that question. You can certainly go to our website um, at pnwr.org, and you can see a complete list of who we are and what we do. And certainly Porsche Club of America has a very comprehensive website, and that will certainly tell you about the Porsche Club and, and what it does as well. But our local clubs, I think, are doing very good work, Mark. We um, give a lot of money to scholarships for kids for school, in vocational schools for automotive um, careers. By the way, we also, Mark, donate money to Western Washington University for their automotive program where they develop experimental cars. That's one of our biggest contributions that the, our, our club um, gives to them. We give them about 20 thousand dollars a year so many times you, wow. you attend events in our in our region mark we'll say well the events is fifty dollars it's seventy five dollars well mark that money goes to, to one of our charitable arms and that is to give money to in this case to western washington university and and the success that they have had over the years mark i think we've given them a little over 
$200,000 over the time we've been supporting them, maybe over 10 years, I want to say, wow. maybe eight years. So, so those type of things I think are really interesting, interesting to the community. So go to our website, take a look at us. You can see Spiel there as well. You can take a look at our newsletter. You can hear all the great things that you and I have been talking about today. Absolutely. I'll put all these links on Doug's show notes page. It'll be easy to find. And, uh, you know, even if you're not in the region that we are, you can still subscribe to the Pacific Northwest Portrait Club yep. and get Spiel if you like it online or print, whatever you want. Doug will make it happen. Hey, Doug, thanks for spending some fun time with me today. Uh, your uh, inspiration uh, is just never ending, my friend. And I'm so happy we're able to connect this way. Until you and I talk again... No doubt, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!